Hey everybody, it's Noah, Editor-in-Chief here at the Arc of E! Network, back with another Flashback Friday episode for you, and we're going to go back to the TV arc this week, uh, the second episode that Gavin and I ever recorded for that feed, actually, and this is our top ten favorite TV shows of all time. Uh, this was recorded somewhere in the midst of 2018, so we're coming off the back of 2017, one of the better years for prestige television in recent memory. You had The Leftovers, you had Twin Peaks The Return, uh, need I say more? Uh, but there has, of course, time has passed since then, so if you want to check out our favorite shows from 2018 and 2019, those episodes are still available on the TV Arc feed. Uh, and while we're talking about the TV Arc feed, the biggest show to ever come out of it, Bending Not Breaking, which is now on its own separate feed, its own grand show on its own, they're actually wrapping up their second season today, Friday. They normally air on Tuesdays, but it's a special Friday in general because Avatar The Last Airbender is finally available on Netflix to stream. Hasn't really been available for the masses for a while, unless you were a hardcore fan, so it's a great jumping in point, and we have a great companion podcast available for you. That's Bending Not Breaking, available on its own separate feed, and that's Mr. Sunshine Mayfield, Ben Pruitt, and their incredible producer, Mr. Max Gongor, so I just want to send a shout out to them uh, for two incredible seasons, and they are hard at work on season three, which should be airing for you probably late summer or early fall, so stay tuned for that. Uh, but for now, we're going to take it, take you back in time to 2018, and again, this is Gavin and I discussing our favorite shows at the at the time. This list might be a little different uh, if I could go back and redo it at the moment, but uh, yeah, favorite TV shows of all time. Let's uh, let's take it away. Hello, and welcome to the TV Arc on the Arc of Eden Network. My name is Noah. And my name is Gavin. And we're the Blanchard Brothers, back with our second episode. As promised, top ten favorite shows of all time. Episodes, too. Yeah. Yeah. I, I didn't necessarily do episodes for all of mine, but okay. I'll try and shout out somewhere I can, specifically by title. But, uh, yeah, anything you want to hit before we dive straight into this one? Uh, anything you're watching right now? Anything um, you just crushed recently? In the middle of Altered Carbon. That's uh, the new Netflix show, right? Yes, Joe Kinnaman. I'll watch anything that guy's in. Uh, I've heard good things, but I haven't heard anybody going like, you've got to be watching this yet. It's a little so. complicated with the uh, the setup, uh, just because of like the world it makes. It's basically like people can't die. Okay. And like instead of die, like you die but like you have this thing in the back of your neck that like they can put into another body and so like you know if you're rich enough you can like have a clone of yourself made okay but if you're poor like you know you may die and your body's gone people don't remember you as like your body they just but use you as a vessel well yeah they call them sleeves yeah okay. they just put them back and stuff there's like Same a concept. one scene where like these 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 people in the hospital bring back an old woman's like our daughter's 12 years old this is the only body we had and it's like now she's a 12 year old in this like grandma's body it's really weird but it's okay. it's because it's a murder mystery wrapped around that so right. yeah he gets hired to uh to solve a murder and the guy who hires him is like you have to solve my murder I have to figure out who killed me uh that's pretty much it there's a few more I probably need to start you'll be happy to know I I started Ozark Really? About three episodes deep. What do you think? Um, I like it. I don't love it uh, yet, necessarily. But I, I, I will finish it at some point. Okay. But... What did you think of the first episode? 
I mean, it was a solid, solid pilot, but also, I don't know, man. Maybe I've got, like, Breaking Bad fatigue, but it, like, heavy vibes of just, like, this is Netflix trying to do Breaking Bad. Just tweaking it a little bit. Eh, maybe. But, again, I'm judging that off of, like, three episodes. But I do like Bateman in it. It definitely has a unique voice to it. I'll yeah. give it that. It has kind of a distinct uh, style of dialogue. But, uh, yeah, m- more updates to come later. But I'm definitely not, like, rushing through it. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, that's where I'm at with that. Uh, I've been doing a lot of movie watching, so I'll save that for the, the movie arc. But yeah. uh, I haven't watched any shows recently. Other than, you know, random rewatches. I'm still current on Portlandia, the final season that's airing right now. It's very good. I enjoy it, as good. always. And uh, I, oh, I am also in the process of catching up on season four of Nathan for You. Have you ever watched Nathan for You? Is that the one that, um, no. It's on Comedy Central? It is on Comedy I'm thinking Central. Of, I'm thinking of another show on True TV. Okay. Um, Nathan Fielder, I don't know how familiar you yeah, are yeah. with him, but just, like, for me right now, King of Deadpan. Like, <laughs> he's just genius, dude. It's so, so funny. But, yeah, just the situations he gets himself into, <laughs> and, like, the, just the entire concept of the show is so mind-bending, because it's one of those where you're just, like, it approaches it so seriously, and it's, like, satirizing and parodying shows of its kind while at the same time functioning as one of those shows to the outside world, it manages to get these great moments with real people and their real reactions with just his insane setups and like weirdness that he brings to it. Hmm. It's one, it's just, it's kind of indescribable. You have to just kind of sit down and watch an episode to kind of understand what it is. But essentially he goes in, in a very, uh, I forget. It's another show that I think is on true TV. Uh, or whatever the whatever network Shark Tank is on MSNBC. Yeah. But like where he goes in to help like a failing small business. That's mm-hmm. his whole thing. But every concept he ever gives these people is like absolutely insane. It's like, oh, there's a failing uh, gas station or a liquor store. Well, what if you uh, sold alcohol to minors? <laughs> well, you can't do that. Well, if you sell it to them uh, with the caveat that they cannot actually. They can purchase it, but they cannot leave the store with it until they are 21. <laughs> and they just literally have kids come in and they explain it to them in the moment and shit. Because they put a giant sign outside. It's like, we sell alcohol to minors. They come in, they get up to the counter, and when they're going to take their purchase away, they're like, no, nah, not so fast. You're not 21. If you sign this thing, you can come back when you turn 21. Like, it's shit like that. Okay. But they do it for, like, yeah. Oh I just God. watched one last night from season four. Okay, where it was for his Jimmy Kimmel appearance. Uh-huh. This is one of the most genius twenty-two minutes of television comedy I've seen recently. Okay, and it starts with him on the Jimmy Kimmel show and everybody laughing at like his anecdotes and shit. And he's like, "But all little did they know, all of this was one of the most carefully crafted ruses of all time." And basically, he tells like a crazy couch story that you would about like missing a friend's wedding or something or having to go to a friend's wedding, his luggage getting mixed up. He ends up wearing the suit of somebody else that's like way too big for him and he has to go to the wedding dressed like that. And also in the pocket of this jacket, 
there's a substance, who knows what it is, he gets pulled over by the cops, they look at it, they end up calling the guy, and it's the dude's mother's ashes, okay? That's the setup. (laughs) So then he literally makes all of that happen by hiring people from Craigslist so that he can claim that this is a true story, which of course nobody would ever call him on. Again, that's the genius of the show, it's just... He approaches everything very like, well, of course I have to do it this way. Like It only <laughs> makes sense. But yeah, dude, if any of that sounds interesting to you, just dive in. I've got the first two seasons on DVD I can lend to you. Uh, and I'm just, I got season four on iTunes recently. But I'll check it out. It, you would love it, dude. You, but yeah, you got to watch like one or two to get what he's going for. Gotcha. But you will definitely appreciate it. It's genius. I need to get mom to watch it too. It's just, it's so brilliant. Okay. It's so great. One of the best comedies on TV right now. Uh, that's pretty much it uh, for current watching for me. So if you want to dive in, you want to kick it off with your number 10 favorite television show of all time? Um, Yeah, I'm going to overload like you do just to cheat on number 10 just because they're pretty recent. And uh, I mean, they are some of my favorite things. They're also some of my stranger things. <laughs> that I've talked about on podcasts before. Brilliant. Uh, my, no, my number 10 would be a, a joint mashup of Stranger Things and Black Mirror. Um, okay. Like, I don't, I can't, I don't want to put them as like, oh, this is it because they're so new. And I have to, I want to give it like, you know, a little bit of time before I can be like, yeah. Because like, there are some TV shows I've watched and I've only gotten to them recently. I haven't watched, like, I didn't watch them when they ran. And I'm like, okay. This is 20 years old. This is 30 years old, but it still speaks to me, and I love it, so I'm going to put that higher. But And plus, these are the only two Netflix ones I have on my list, so right. I I'm going to mash those together. Uh, I'll say I tried to stick mostly to things that are off the air, that have had a beginning, middle, and end, mm-hmm. but there's a few exceptions for sure, and we'll get into those. Um and we have again, one that's this still is running. A, this is a list for me that could change on like any given day. Like the top five kind of stays pretty much the same. Yeah. And the top three doesn't really fluctuate. But yeah. So this is very malleable, but this is how I'm feeling, you know, at the moment. Yeah. When I jotted this down. So I, going off of pure favoritism, I am also going to cheat at my 10 slot. Uh, I have Freaks and Geeks yeah. and Undeclared. Um, yeah, they work together. Which only seems fair because they only got one season apiece, and they're two of the best just shows, period, but like hybrid comedy dramas, specifically with Freaks and Geeks, and then Undeclared goes for a more comedic, outright comedic, half-hour approach, but these are, of course, uh, Apatow Productions, OG Apatow Productions. Uh, got Paul Feig as the co-creator on Freaks and Geeks, and then I believe Apatow is the sole uh, creator listed for Undeclared. But, of course, Seth Rogen comes out of this, uh, Jay Baruchel, Franco, uh, Linda Cardellini early on. Uh, who else have we got in there? Uh, is it Busy Phillips? Yep. Uh, Busy Phillips is in there. Martin Starr, of course, who's on Silicon Valley now. Just um, If you've never seen it, it's, it's one of those shows that I feel like everybody always brings up when you talk about like Overlooked and you know shows that should have gotten a second season sort of things. Uh, but they exist kind of perfectly in and of themselves. Uh, go check these out. I think they are both still streaming on Netflix. I think they still have them at this point. I think and so. you can breeze through both of these shows, but Freaks and Geeks is just, it's so special. 
there, I mean, I know you've probably heard that from a billion people, but there's just, there's nothing quite like it, and there hasn't been since, that just, it has a mastery of tone in it, where it can go from being, like, you know, gut-bustingly funny, but not in an over-the-top way, in, like, just the right way, and then can have you, like, getting super emotional in all the, all the feels, uh, just moments later, so... Go check out both of those. Again, they feel like they should be paired together, so maybe that's not so much of a cheat, but that's my number 10, Freaks and Geeks and Undeclared. Hmm. You are number nine, sir. My number nine is the only show I have from across the pond, and that would be, and again, it's no longer on the air. Well, it may be. I don't know what the status is. But specifically, it is the British version of Top Gear. Not in its current form, not with Matt LeBlanc and Chris Evans, or whoever the host is, or was, but specifically with Jeremy Clarkson, James May, and Richard Hammond, the three that are now on, if you like that, you will know they're on Amazon at the Grand Tour. Um, it's an automobile show. It's uh, it's like a weekly car show. They have news. They one of their bits is that they use they used to do a star in a reasonably priced car, which was they would take a big star and they would basically take them out to their track and give them three laps to see who can get it around there the, the longest. And it was mm-hmm. neat to see your favorite celebrities come in. Uh, sometimes they'd have like actual race car drivers, but like Tom Cruise has been in there, Idris Elba. So they bring them in, they sit down. They t- Aaron Paul was on there at one point. It's really neat to just watch like those segments. If I'm sure there's a YouTube cut of that. But specifically my favorite episode was a couple of years ago, they started doing these battles where, like, they would try and all race to a spot. Sometimes it would be they each picked a car for, like, you know, $1,000, and they had to see who could get the best old used car, the best used sedan. But in this case, they were going to battle the Japanese bullet train versus the Nissan GTR Type R. So... James May and Richard Hammond, they decide they're going to get on the bullet train, and they basically are going to... It's kind of like a, a, a race through um, through the island. And, of course, Jeremy Clarkson gets in the uh, the GTR, and he's it's just a flat-out race to who can get to this spot in Japan before the other. But just the sights, him talking about the car, the visuals, the two of them on the train being British and not being able to like communicate well, having to use a translator app... It's just one of my favorites from recent memory, but they're all good. They've, you know, they had it falling out with BBC because allegedly Jeremy Clarkson was drunk and wanted a hamburger, and he wasn't allowed that by his producer, so he punched the producer, and uh, they were like, you're gone, and so they tried to levy his partners and say this, and they're like, nope, if he's gone, we're gone. That's how all of that went down? Yeah. Or a fucking hamburger? I guess yeah. it's over the punch, but... yeah. Because okay, he was just, he'd been that. drunk and yelling. something way more scandalous. No, okay. he'd been drunk and yelling at the producer the whole time. And he was like, I want a hamburger. And he's like, no, you can't. Finally, he just got mad and punched him. And like, yeah, okay, standards in practice. But they basically, they just outright got rid of him, fired him. No fine, no counseling, no nothing. And um, they tried to be like, well, we'll pay you guys for this. And they're like, no, if like we're it's not, it's the three of us or none of us. And the minute that that got word that they were done... There was talks of, well, they'll just go somewhere else. And, of course, Amazon stepped up and financed the Grand Tour, which I've watched the first season. The second season's coming out. And as far as I can tell, nothing's changed. Just the format is that they, the first season they were traveling to different spots. And one of the bits was they would always have, because they couldn't use 
some of the same stuff they had from Top Gear. So they'd have like a celebrity that was going to come on and talk to them. But for some reason, the celebrity never made it to the show. So there's like one with Simon, like our tonight's guest is Simon Pegg. And you see Simon walking through the streets, coming to this thing. He's like, oh, there he is. And he like kind of waves at the camera. What's he up? And he goes walking over a bridge. And next thing you know, the bridge is like incomplete. And he falls in the water. He's like, oh, I guess he's not coming. And then I think like Charlize Theron or somebody was like, they were in Africa or the desert, and they were like gonna walk to it, and all of a sudden they got bit by something, and they just fell on the ground, and they're like, "Oh, well, he's not, he's not coming." So the joke being that like they made fun and they were aware of the fact that like there was stuff on the old show that they probably contractually couldn't do again, so instead of trying to recreate it, they just made fun of it. But I just I don't know. I'm a I'm into cars, and that's probably my favorite car show. I like cars. I like cars. I like um, <laughs> okay. Um. I'm going to do a little active active shuffling. This list is, like I said, very malleable, so it's changing on the fly. Uh, my number nine favorite show of all time uh, is an early FX original. Ooh. It's a drama. Drama? It's got a lot of humor in there. Can you tell me what it is? Uh, the Shield. No. <laughs> uh, Shield is not on my list. Spoiler alert. Uh, but Rescue Me is. Oh, yeah. I forgot about Rescue Me. Yeah. And it's one that cropped up back in my head. And I I love this show. I have not properly revisited it start to finish since it ended. But this has the rare distinction of being the only show I can say this about. It is a show that I started from episode one, the first night it aired. And I followed every single episode of what I believe ended up being eight seasons. That sounds about right. Watched it every night. Like, when it aired, they would always do the the two showings on FX. So it's like if I missed the initial one or I came in a few minutes late, like, I would just wait for the next one to start. But I never missed an episode. Like, I followed this old school, week to week, season to season. You know, no DVDs, not, nothing like that. And it's one of the few shows, like I said, that I can say that I started from the time that it began and I followed it all the way to the end. Because pretty much everything else on my list, it's stuff that was either already off the air by the time I discovered it, or, you know, it was like a season or two deep before I became aware of it, and it was like a huge thing, and it was like playing catch-up, which is basically the case with most modern television shows. Yeah. Uh, And actually, I take that back, because I can say that about one more show on my list. Ooh. So never mind. (laughs) I'm just realizing that. So... (laughs) Moving right along, uh, that was my number nine, Rescue Me. Uh, I guess I should actually say something about it if people don't, aren't familiar with it and don't remember it that well. Uh, Dennis Leary starred as Mr. Tommy Gavin. Gavin? Yep. Tommy Gavin. Tommy Gavin. Yep. Uh, firefighter. New, New York, York City firefighter, basically living post 9-11. And the show is intrinsically tied to it and what it means to his life. And again, it is very darkly funny. Uh and there's a lot of interesting characters and just tons of crazy stuff that happens in that show over the course of it. But um, I I always enjoyed it, even as like bad shit as it got in some seasons. And it's one of those that managed to come around kind of full circle and has one of my favorite final episodes of any show ever, which is a total top 10 in and of itself. Top 10 finales. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, dude. So, uh Go check it out. I believe it would be available just on FX's uh, streaming site. I don't think it's on Netflix anymore. So uh, go go find find that out. 
and uh, go watch Rescue Me. It's a fantastic show. Your number nine, brother. That would be my number eight. Your number eight, brother. <laughs> um, this is the only show that is still running. I don't know when it's going to stop running. Uh, there's a, It's up in the air. Uh, but it's not like my favorite comedy. So I, I put it here because um, I need to catch back up with it. I kind of lost it. I'll, I'll catch up in chunks. But um, it's the Big Bang Theory. Everybody loves the Big Bang Theory. Everybody talks about the Big Bang Theory. But my favorite episode is specifically this one early on with their uh, – it's a Christmas episode. And if you've seen it, you know what I'm talking about. If you haven't, um, I'm going to kind of spoil it a little bit for you because uh, it's old and you should have seen it already. Anyway, um, basically Sheldon, the main character, Jim Parsons, is freaking out because he doesn't like giving gifts. He has to give a reciprocal amount of money for each gift. So he buys like three different sizes of, of what to give Penny, his roommate, or his uh, neighbor across the hall. So she comes over and gives him a tiny box. And he's like, oh, okay, so hang on one second. Goes and grabs a, a tiny box about the same value. And he opens it up, and she's like, yeah, I'm sorry, this, this, and this. He opens it up, and it's a napkin. And it says, uh, to Sheldon, live long and prosper, Leonard Nimoy. And, of course, he freaks out because he's a huge nerd and Star Trek fan and all that. So he runs back to his room and grabs all the presents and just throws them at her. It's like, I'm sorry, this isn't enough. Like, he's so happy that he got Leonard Nimoy's autograph. And finally, he, like, gives her a hug and, you know, they've never hugged or anything like that. And it's just a little weird thing. And, of course, Johnny Galecki's character, Leonard, is just kind of watching all this happen. And uh, she tells him, like, yeah, sorry, it's kind of smudged. He, like, sneezed in. And he's like, oh, I have his DNA. I can grow my own Leonard Nimoy. And you're like, oh, yeah, that's totally plausible. That's, you know, something every nerd would love. But that one, there's a handful of other just, like, really fun ones. They're, you know, there's the Indiana Jones one where they decide they're going to try and sneak into a new cut of Indiana Jones that explains how he was able to survive on the submarine all that time if it had never gone underwater. Okay. Like, yeah. But it's kind of kitschy. I know it's in, like, everybody knows that it. it's still running. It's been going for, like, 10 years. But, it you know, it, I like it. It's a fun show to watch. Dad loves it. So every now and then I'll get Shout snaps. Out to Dad. Yeah. Every now and then I'll get snaps of it on, like, when he's watching it live. And I'm like, oh, okay, cool, Pop. Okay, yeah, fine. You're number eight. <laughs> It's your show, brother. I'm not the host. Oh, God damn it. <laughs> okay, I'm going with it. We'll probably have to table it anyways. Breaking Bad. All right, on the table. No, no, no. Keep going. What? I didn't put it on my list. Really? Yeah. Well, shit. I was really hoping you'd rank it higher. That's why I bumped it down a few pegs. <laughs> uh, I feel like it's one we don't need to hammer home. If no. you haven't seen it, uh, get Sucks for it. you. <laughs> uh, pretty sure it's still on Netflix. Really available. I have the the barrel uh, box set, Blue oh, Ray, yeah. which I still have not. It's another one I haven't gone through, but in the course of it airing, I basically rewatched every season at least once, if not twice, before the final season. No, but okay. I have not watched it start to finish since it ended. Uh, but I know people feel differently about the ending. Uh, some people really love it. Some people want to read all this other stuff into it. I personally felt like they totally stuck the landing. Uh, I love where the show ends up at. It is a fantastic journey that when you were watching it season to season, which I came into it uh, the end of season two, I believe. Or I know, I watched seasons one and two on DVD and started season three proper following it. Gotcha. So, yeah. But, of course, 
uh, everybody's probably familiar, Brian Cranston, uh, a chemistry teacher who gets a fatal diagnosis of lung cancer and decides he's going to put his, uh, his chemistry brain to work and start making meth uh, to provide a little, a little nest egg for his family. And things spiral out of control from there. And it's one of the most intense shows, I think, just ever made. Uh, the way it plays with tension. It's fantastically directed. Uh, performances off the charts all over the place. And one that like you could never quite get ahead of. It was always a show that managed to surprise you. And then simultaneously make you go, oh, well, of course, this couldn't have happened any other way. Like, everything (laughs) seemed so perfect when it was executed where you're like, of course this was the perfect idea, and this is how he would get out of it, or this is how we leapfrog to the next thing. But, you know, every single time you're like, this is how it ends. It's all over right here. Every single time. (laughs) And, again, I, I don't know what more you can say about a performance that earned, I believe, four... Best actor Emmys, yeah. In the time he was playing him, mm-hmm. just Brian Cranston just destroying uh, this role, and Aaron Paul, of course, who the show does not work without, and a gun as well. Even though people want to shit all over that character, which still makes no sense to me whatsoever. Yeah, I never really got just, that. It's such a great drama, and of course Bob Odenkirk, oh, who has course. spun off into Better Call Saul, which I regret to say that I have not seen the most recent season of. I've seen the first two, but I'm behind on three. Need to catch up. And that's one that could conceivably make this list as well, you know, when it's all said and done. We'll see what happens. But um, if you haven't gotten on the the Breaking Bad train, which I feel like a lot of people did, especially for the final season, there's a lot of people going back through everything and trying to catch up and binge right before it ended. So I feel like it's still in the popular consciousness. I mean, they still replayed on AMC all the time. They still have like... Well, because AMC really doesn't... They don't have their heavy hitters anymore, man. They gotta... I never see them like rerunning Mad Men, but I assume it still happens. They still do Mad Men on Sundays. Sometimes for a I long think. time they used to show Mad Men like Sunday mornings and stuff. Maybe. Mm-hmm. Anyways, uh, yeah. So to clarify, that was my number eight. We're going to you for your number seven, because if I'm not mistaken, you let off. Yes, I did. Okay. So my number seven, uh, you may have it on your list. It's a classic. Everybody's going back to it now, but it's Friends. My number seven favorite TV show of all time. You really like the sitcoms. Yeah. Brother, that's what I'm hearing. It's a simpler, it's a simpler thing. So like, I Big Bang, you, you have can... one sitcom. Really? On my entire list. I mean. Just one. Friends, you got to understand though, for me, Friends is, it's the, it's the starter. It's this, the starting of being conscious of television as of, a weekly thing of current television for yeah, sure because you know everything we had watched as kids up until that point we maybe had like i think maybe one one summer we were like you know road rules comes on every wednesday so we could <laughs> watch road, road rules. rules like yeah that one summer we spent at Mimi and Paul's watching road rules uh semester at sea uh classic yeah classic television i love it um but up until then, everything was a rerun. Everything was in syndication. And I mean, that was the goal, was get as many episodes as you can in your boat so you can go into syndication so you can make more money. And Friends, I feel like, did not do that for a long time because I remember all of a sudden it exploded on TBS, mm-hmm. and that's where everybody caught it. 
because we've been buying i'd been buying like the best of dvds That's how i remember being introduced to it initially was specifically one of the few times that it snowed yes and i remember being snowed in we had those best of dvds and the whole family just because there was nothing for anybody to do like we ended up all watching those together yeah and then that translated into every thursday night we started watching it and then uh for a while i remember watching the full-on must-see tv lineup which would have been friends will and grace will and grace and then straight into er or was there another there another show i'm forgetting in there there was probably one or two. I feel like that year. was the lineup, though. Yeah. Might have been something after ER. No, because ER went off at 11 and your news came on. Yes. There might have been a 9 o'clock crime show or something. They might have tried to, like, sub different things in there. Yeah. But that's the lineup I remember, at least. Just Friends, Will and & Grace, and, uh, and ER. It's like the TGIF lineup, dude. I remember that, like, clockwork. We'll talk about the TGIF lineup in a little bit. In a little bit. <laughs> But yeah, but Friends is the first show I remember being conscious of like, okay, this is a weekly thing. So much so that like that year after we that the year after this starts with us, um, I want to say maybe well, maybe it's like two years, they they're going off the air. And but my junior year spring break, I remember going we were going out Thursday night, and we we're like, nobody's out, what's going on? And we got a text, everybody's at the Thomas Sumter girls' house watching Friends. What? Oh yeah, that's right. It's going off the air. So like we went over and we're all watching like the lat some of the lat it's like the lat they're in the middle of the last season. We're watching like everything go around. I'm like, okay, I get it. Like everybody likes this show. I don't want to admit that like, yeah, I watch it with my parents too. I'm kinda glad I'm here. But you know, <laughs> there was such a thing that like they, cool. Yeah, there was one night during spring break of all times that everybody had to just be like, Nope, we're not going out, not doing nothing, watching friends. So Um, it's a show I still really like. Um but it is a show, unlike, say, Seinfeld, for instance. A show that's not on my list, but I also love. Uh, pretty much any episode of Seinfeld that pops up, like, I'll, I'll sit and watch it. Yeah. But Friends, the first, like, two seasons or so, I, I could take or leave them. Yeah, it's because it didn't really know what it was at yes. that point. But when they really kind of start to zero in on what they want the characters to be and everything, which I feel like is around, like, back half of season three... From that point forward, um, I'm a pretty huge fan. Uh, just while while we're on this one, who's your favorite friend? Chandler. Of all of them? Chandler Bing. Okay, yes. yeah, and pick a female as well. Pick one from each side. Uh, Phoebes. Okay. Yeah. Phoebes. Phoebes. And Ross. Ross. <laughs> it's all about Ross, dude. The show, and yeah, the show essentially what? started like it was about... Monica a little bit. I'm telling you, dude, in the later seasons, okay, Chandler, Matthew Perry, is written to be funny. Yes. He's the sarcastic one. He's the wisecracker, okay? Yeah. Joey, you know, he's the fun, lovable, kind of dumb hunk archetype. Yeah, but he becomes that. He was trying to be, you know, the heartthrob, whatever, until they kind of realized people think he's hilarious. So let's just do that. Ross is written a lot of times in a pretty straightforward manner. It is the delivery oh, yeah. and the performance from Schwimmer. And I think he is honestly the one of, one of if not the funniest character in the show. When you go back to it, especially in later seasons, dude, the episode with the leather pants where he's trapped in the bathroom mm-hmm. and like has to call Joey and everything. 
Yeah. Um, all of just his misadventures and dating and stuff, especially, like I said, the later seasons of the show. So funny to me. I, it's somebody who, again, seems to be like constantly shit on in his life, but also if you kind of look at it objectively, like he's not... And, He's not the greatest dude in the world at all. No. But they definitely, they wanted him to be like, they wanted him to be Lloyd Dobler, dude. Yeah, That's what they wanted him to be in the first season. Of course. But he gradually, like, kind of moves away from that. I can remember when the show ended. One quick question. Sorry. Yeah. No, they were not on a break. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, what was your question? No, that was too good. I'm just going to leave it at that. Okay. No, I just, I can remember watching the, um, they had a bit with them about, like, you know, the show ending and all this different stuff. And I can just remember Matthew Perry them talking, and Matthew Perry just kind of says, well, we no one can deliver a line like David Schwimmer. Like, he wasn't joking. He was dead on. Like, I mean, yeah, you know, because they've been talking about he he had kind of wanted to be done like a year or two before. They all renegotiated. They got, con- like, bigger contracts. They came back. They did a final 10 season. They had the 10th season. And they talked to him, come back, because I think Matt Lauer or Katie Kirk was interviewing them after they did it all wrapped, and he just was like, yeah, nobody delivers a line like David Schwimmer. It's like, that. you're right. That's perfect. I mean, I think, again, for me personally, it's him and Kudrow. They're the best actors on that show. Not to take anything away from the ensemble, but yeah. I think they've been the two that consistently, like, they can do other stuff. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Anyways. Okay. Um, so that's back to me for my number... Seven. Seven. You know what? Let's just uh, let's just keep the AMC train rolling. Okay. This is where I'm gonna put Mad Men. I already brought it up once. Um, this show was like completely transformative for me. I discovered it just in time to start the second season. I believe, or no, I think this is another one. The first two were out, and I started season three. But this, it was like a ritual show. Every every Sunday night, it was on. I'd mix myself a little Jameson and Ginger. Like or, every other kid in or America. Or a different cocktail. Yeah, no, I totally, totally became a, a madman hipster, if you will, for the time that it was on. But with good reason. It's It still stands as one of the best dramas I've ever seen. Just incredibly rich characters. Totally nails the period, aesthetic, and all of that. And it's, it still stands probably as the best written show, just from a dialogue perspective. Yeah. I've ever seen. It's just incredibly well written, fascinating characters, fantastic lead performance from Mr. John Hamm as Don Draper. One of the most enigmatic characters in modern television. You also have uh, Elizabeth Moss as Peggy Olson, who is now on Handmaiden's Tale, a show I need to catch up with. And among many other amazing actors on that show, if you've ever been hesitant about jumping into it because i know at this point to me it kind of stands as a more of a a cult show even though it had a lot of like cultural penetration so to speak it uh still from what i understand only averaged in like the the low like 1.5 maybe 3.5 million at its height for like individual episodes I, Hmm. i don't know but of course critically beloved with good reason it is one of the few shows that I can point to that literally gets better and better every single season and managed to never pigeonhole itself or like paint itself into a corner 
of having to be any one particular thing. Hmm. And the way they really play with that in the later seasons, there are some episodes that will just absolutely blow your mind with like, wow, this is, I'm watching Mad Men right now. Like where, what's, what's going on? Hmm. But the way it starts to incorporate some, uh, more dreamy aspects. I, I want to be really vague, but, uh, it's, it's a fantastic show. Go give it a shot. It's one of those, I know it's the pace of it for some people, it's a little hard to get into, and the fact that you may feel like, what, you know, nothing really happened in this episode, but it's so much about building character and the inner drama of all these people so that you can get to a point three seasons down the line when you can watch two characters interact and there's just, there's a look between them. It's not even spoken, and it speaks volumes. Hmm. It's that kind of show. It is so subtly done. Uh, its commentary on the era and the period that's taking place in is extremely subtle as well. It's incredibly well researched, and the way it plays with like you know history is very interesting. There are some historical figures within the show, but again, mostly fictional. But yeah, dude, if you've never do- dove into it, I know you like John Hamm. Hopefully, that would be enough to get you on board. But I tell everybody. Just watch the first season. You may feel like it's a bit of a slog at some at some points, but get to the end of that first season and tell me it's not one of the best shows you've ever seen, one of the best first seasons of a show you've ever seen, and tell me that you can honestly walk away without finishing the show. And basically every single season continues to be like that, and it drives you forward, and it just gets better and better and better, and then it ends with another one of my favorite endings of any show ever, which is a whole other podcast. So I'll stop talking about all the endings. Uh, but yeah, my he, he, number seven. Does it end with him waking up and like, okay, I did it here. I got the confession out of him. Yeah. Yeah. That's how it ends. It is white Christmas. Okay. Good. Yeah. <laughs> all of, all of, all of it takes place in inside of white Christmas. Okay. My number six is, uh, um, probably going to offend a few people, but I really don't care. But it is the one and only end-all, be-all medical drama, ER. You hear that, Grey's Anatomy? Don't matter how long you stay on the air, ER that? is still Saint the best. Elsewhere. You hear that? Doogie Hauser. Third watch, kind yeah. of. You yeah. hear that? Mash. You hear that? Scrubs. <laughs> Scrubs definitely hears that. Yeah. No, Zach ER Brown's dude. Like, eh, yeah, yeah, you're right. I mean, that is like my it's Michael Crichton, it's David E. <laughs> Kelly. It's like it came about in a time where you didn't have shows like that. It managed to I mean maybe it stuck around longer than it needed to. <clears throat> Grey's Anatomy too. As, as most network shows do. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately. But, but it's like like you said, we were talking about I don't know if it was on mic or just us. Towards the end, there it's like, who the hell showed up on the show? Like, yeah, you forget Stamos? that like Stamos anchored like three or four seasons of that show. Yeah, by and, himself, just like, I guess I'm the technically the oldest cast member here. Yeah. yeah, but uh specifically, I do like the Doctor Green episode. I like the arc. Helen High Water got a lot of praise for George Clooney. That's what won him his nomination, or maybe his Emmy. If he won an Emmy for it, I'm not sure. Um, but if we're gonna I'm go, pretty f- sure he did. Yes, yeah. or maybe that episode itself was like an outstanding. 
I forget. Continue. I don't know the name of the episode, but if you're going to watch one for the arc, you got to watch the one with Lucy and Carter, the season finale. Oh, yeah. Such a cliffhanger. Like, one of my favorite cliffhangers of all time. Just that song playing. What's Battle Flag, Low Fidelity All Stars. Yeah. Thank you. I was going to say. Yeah. Yeah. No, it had a lot of crazy twists and turns. I would say you're. You're pretty solid up through about the first seven to eight seasons, maybe. Yeah. Uh, I don't really know where we can set the marker for it going off the rails, but... Is that Bernard from from the Santa Claus? The crazy dude? Yeah. Yeah. Crumholtz. Yeah. Crumholtz, baby. <laughs> oh, my Who's God. Who's also uh, on Pops Up and Undeclared and Freaks and Geeks, which we've mentioned so far. And Ten Things. That not a TV show, but yeah. Just, you know, anytime you can talk cool. about 10 things, you got to sure. talk about it. <laughs> it's it's like a law. All right. Yeah. My number six? Yeah. Is that where we're at? That's where we're at. Don't, t- don't hurt our feelings, but you go ahead and say when it. When this boy meets world, boy meets world. That's not even. this road that we call life is what we're doing. Dude, you're not going to finish it with me? Because that's not the theme. That's not the theme song. It's. Yeah, it's like. I was just trying to go with lyrics, you know. Yeah. It's the first. I think it's really the first show we've talked about. That I could do that for, because you know, Breaking Bad's got. An instrumental theme that lasts for like 15 seconds. Yeah. Dude, I've got... Have you ever seen the Portlandia episode where it opens with them like, yeah, we make music for, for basic cable shows. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just like how all of the premium cable shows are, you know, like they all kind of sound very similar. Like True Detective, The Jinx, True Blood, yeah, Breaking Bad. Like they all have a similar tone to it. I gotta show you that clip. Anyways. Okay. Yeah, uh, Boy Meets World. Uh, again holds up every time I go back to it I watch this show probably about once a year Gavin was kind enough to purchase the entire thing for me on DVD but I think it is currently streaming on who's got it right now? I would imagine Hulu? I think Hulu has it probably until Disney's uh, app gets off the ground and then I would think it would move over there but gotta have something since the they story to world. of Mr. Corey Matthews and his adventures in life uh, features just some of my favorite characters of all time. Mr. Feeney. Yeah. Uh, Eric, the older brother. Talk about... I mean, the seasons jump because, like, three, he moves time. But it's, I mean, those years are just so wonderful. I mean, you know. The, no? Okay. What? The years of that we see of Corey's life, they're just such wonderful years. They're wonder- How do you know that's not on my list? Oh, <laughs> I was making the joke it's that not, it's... But <laughs> how, how, do, how would you know? I'm just making the joke that this is like, you know, the average... This, this is, is our wonder our, years. This is our wonder years. Yeah. Which is weird because it's about the 90s and early 2000s, basically. And Wonder Years was an 80s show about the 60s. Was it an 80s show? I feel like it started in the 80s but went into the 90s, like the early 90s. Maybe? I, I don't know. I love Wonder Years. Yeah. But I haven't watched Wonder Years in quite a while. Yeah. That's what keeps it off of this list. But Well, I think when that when that was on Nick at Night, 
definitely watched that show like start to finish at least three or four times. Yeah. But it's been it's been a while. Well, the only thing I like about Wonder Years is that it's it's it to me. It's if you actually finished it, which I don't know if most people did, was that they they ended it completely differently than like how it was how it was supposed to be, because it's supposed to be that he gets with um, Winnie Cooper, and that everything's okay, but they come back from wherever, and he talks about how like Wayne's grown up. His dad's just had a heart attack, a la, you know, stand by me kind of thing. And again, it's, uh, what's his face? Daniel Stern that's doing the voiceover narration. And he talks about how, like, you know, Winnie was, like, his first love and he'll always love her and all that, but he didn't wind up with her. He wound up with someone else. And that's the whole point is, like, he looks back on these years. They're the wonder years. They're fondly. Like, he loves what he has, but, like, you know, he just basically is kind of, you know, sitting here saying, hey— You've been watching me with this chick for like, you know, however many seasons, but we don't end up together. This was just my high school days, like my best years. I mean, maybe that was going to be the sequel. The best years was going to come like after this, but it fell victim to the Saved by the Bell, the college years thing, and just nobody ever wanted to watch it. I don't know. But yeah, Boy Meets World, dude. Great show. Agreed. Uh, I mean, I could shout out, I don't know how many episodes. The uh, And then there was Sean, the horror movie episode is a total blast. Um, the I personal I have a soft spot, <laughs> not a soft spot. It's weird to say. Um, a particular enjoyment for the episode where Mister Fred Savage guests. Uh, oh yeah, and makes a pat. He plays a teacher at their college. This is in the college years. Thank God they didn't do a subtitle, dude. Boys yeah. World, the, the college years. Yeah, but they did add a theme song, which I know some people are not huge fans of, as we just learned. But uh, I really dig the college years, man. That might, as much as I love the early high school stuff, when you still got Turner and everything in there, and Harley Kiner, Joey DeRat, and uh, Frankie. Yeah. Oh, Ethan Supley, so great on that show. Yes. Everybody's great on that show. But, um, and it's, it's one of those that's always fascinating to watch when you go back and do it in a binge because you have those weird things like Mr. Turner just kind of disappears. You know, he just he gets in that motorcycle accident when Sean's like in with that cult. And that's what brings him out of it. But then we never see Turner again for the rest of the show. Well, my favorite. Uh, Sean has a sister in the early goings of things. Yeah, you're right. And he has a, like a half brother in the trailer park. A little bit later on, none of those things ever come back into play. And then he has yet another half-brother with Jack, which, yeah. Yeah. It's not even like they brought back that character. Yeah. So just so many, like, oh, they just changed it because, because fuck it. And Eric, who started out as, like, the cool older brother. Heartthrob. Like, who was oh. a little a little goofy and stuff. But still, yeah, definitely going for, like, heartthrob territory. And they basically were like... Oh, Sean, that that's our character for that. Eric's going to be, you know, the lovable dumb guy. Yeah. The dumb older brother. And so you see this dramatic shift around like season back half of season 2 or season 3 where Eric is all of a sudden just like the dumbest kid alive and they treat him as if he's always been the dumbest kid alive. Yeah. But like the first one or two seasons he's struggling with his academics. There's that whole episode about him like cheating on a test with a tutor that Feeney set him up with and like 
morals of that and everything. But again, it holds up. It managed to hit some like big hot button issues of the day, but always handled them. I thought like pretty well. Never, never got too preachy. Uh, always stayed kind of true to the characters. Yeah. Never felt like they were. It never. They never felt like very special episodes to me in the yeah. way that I go back and watch some of those from like the seventies and eighties, where it's just like. Okay, this is like the preachiest shit I've ever seen. This doesn't even feel like it's written. It doesn't even feel like it's coming out of these characters' mouths. It should know? almost be as if Keenan Ivy Williams pops up and says, Message! Message. <laughs> um, no, I mean, the thing I like about it, it's especially that, and it's, this can go into my number five if you're, if you're done talking about it, yeah, is that it, um, it's self-aware in some episodes because you talk about Mr. Turner being gone. There's an episode right before, I think it's a graduation episode from high school, Minkus pops back up and they're like, Minkus, where have you been? And he's like, Oh, I've been over there. I've been over there. And it's like the side of high school you don't see. And he goes, Hey, Mr. Turner, wait up and runs off. Yeah, no. That was brilliant. That's all I needed. I, that was I perfect. I loved how playful the show was with like being aware of, yeah, our continuity is like kind of all over the place and there's these weird little inconsistencies. But I just, I love it. It's still charming as hell. Uh, ben Savage, just, dude. I, I loved that Girl Meets World came back for a little bit. I only watched the episodes that had, like, the original cast members returning to it. Mm-hmm. So maybe I'm part of the problem for, like, why it didn't take off. But I think you mentioned it on a previous cast. But, like, why can't we just get, you know, the adult them? But it's just, it's an adult comedy series. And, yeah, they can have kids and stuff. But, like, why couldn't it just be centered around them? Yeah. Do we need to have... I mean, I... And I do appreciate, you know, Girl Meets World trying to approach it from a different perspective, all of that, and doing it for a modern audience, but, yeah. I it's, still, I would love for it to come back, but if it does, I would love for it to come back as, you know, man gets crushed by a world, I think is how we teased it before. I mean, I would love it if it was like a Parks and Rec office thing where it's like a straight up just docudrama about these people. And like you play it as, you play it as like, oh, you guys are here to talk to me about Boy Meets World, yeah, a show I did when I was a kid. But it's like, you know, they're cognizant that their lives were put on TV for some reason. So now there's like a documentary crew keeping up with them. Okay. And it's just like a, you know, You're just going super meta. Super okay. meta. Yeah, why All not? Right. If you're going to go meta, go super meta. Sure. Um, yeah. So in keeping with meta, uh, my number five is about uh, a kid who was born in West Philadelphia. He's born and raised. He spent a lot of time out on the playground. He used to, um, he'd be chilling out, max and relaxing, all cool, you know, shooting some b-ball outside of the school. But then, you know, there was a couple guys that were up to no good, and they started making trouble in his neighborhood. He got in one little fight, and his mom got scared, and said she's, she sent him off to live with his auntie and uncle in Bel Air. And uh, he begged and pleaded with her day after day, but, you know, she packed his suitcase and sent him on his way. And basically, you know, that's how he became the Fresh Prince of Bel Air. I don't know the rest of that line after I begged and pleaded with her day after day, but she packed my suitcase and sent me well, on you my took way. it into the full-length version, which is only heard in, like, the pilot episode. Yes. Uh, and one other time. ended it, but... No, that's the thing. So, like, quick quick story. I don't know how the schools do this, but our, our, our college's baseball team, when the batters walk up, they have their own theme song. While we were still in college, there was a kid named Christian Walker. His walk-up music was... Um, the middle of that, but what would if they had to go over time? The chorus would go into this second, um, 
the second verse, and it would be, I begged, you know, I begged and pleaded with her day after day, but she packed my suitcase. And, like, everybody in the, in the like, at the game is like, what the hell is this? I've never heard this before. <laughs> but, like, people who know are like, oh, yeah, I know this song. Like, it's it's his song. It's not just a theme song. Because the theme song, obviously, it's in every episode, but it, they cut that out. It's too long. But it's just always funny. It would always be funny when he'd get up, and then, like, they'd have to call time, but they'd still have the music going, and people were just kind of like, Oh shit! What I don't know this verse. What the hell is this? Is this the same song? But anyway, yeah, Fresh Prince of Bel Air. So many times when there's meta, I can think of the time where they start the show and Hillary and Carlton are coming in complaining about not having enough money, and Will's like, they're like, wait a minute, we're rich, and Will's like, we so rich, uh, how come we ain't got no roof? Look up, and it's just like the studio lights, <laughs> and then the one where uh, it only happened once, but like uh, after they traded out uh, actresses to play the moms. Um, Jazz comes in and says, "Who y'all got playing the mom this season?" And Nikki's like, "Still the same mom, <laughs> like just after the first season of her." But so many times where it's just, uh, I mean, that show. I I know Will Smith has talked at length about it, and I'm no, I know everybody loves it. There's a ton of episodes. There's the Break the Hex episode. There's the um, had to go down to witness protection in the South. Oh God, yeah, yeah, Crazy Luther. The uh, the Vegas episode, live in Vegas, where they do... Sh- uh, Dance to Apache. Well, it's... Uh, what is it? Will the Thrill and Boogaloo Shrimp. Yeah. It's, it's classic. I mean, and you got the classic joints with Will Smith crying and just, you know, getting us all in yeah, tears. Yeah, managed to hit a lot of uh, social issues of the yeah. day. Um, and, yeah, one that I feel like pretty, pretty narrowly avoided getting, like, too preachy at any given time or too uh, very special episode-y. But yeah, you go back and watch that that scene. People post that clip all the time of just that sequence with his father where he breaks down and everything. And it's still, I mean, when you're watching that as a kid, this show that's normally like all fun and games and laughs and hijinks and stuff, uh, when it gets really real, like I remember that like deeply, deeply affecting me when I was a little yeah. kid. And it still does. It holds up. Still holds up as some of the best acting he's ever done. Well, see, that's the and, thing. A lot of people don't know, but like, and they probably, well, they put it out with that clip is that, like, that is, it was not his react, James Avery's reaction to grab a hold of him, but like, he straight up, like, as Will was getting into it, he just straight up grabbed him and held him. And that's to me, that's the moment when you're like, fuck, yeah, yeah. this shit, ah, that's, it doesn't matter. And that, to me, it managed to cross all. All types of lines, racial lines, whatever you want to call it, because in that point, it's not about like a black father and son, or what. It's just a father and a son, and just the son asking, "Why is it that you brought me here? You created me. Why don't you want me to be around you?" Mm-hmm. And that is just that's powerful on any level. But to do it in that manner on network television, out in front of everybody, I mean, that's probably one of the reasons why it's still running on on Nick at Night or still running a rerun somewhere. The minute that it is available to stream somewhere, I can't, I don't know if it's on Hulu, I don't have a Hulu subscription, but if it shows up anywhere, I'll be binging the entire thing. I love that show. Agreed. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I'll transition over to a very, very different show, but also a very emotionally uh, devastating show at times. Most of the time, in fact. I'm talking about The Leftovers. Okay. Uh, probably the most recent uh, show on my list. Only three seasons. It's all all said and done already. 
this was, of course, from Mr. Damon Lindelof uh, of Lost Fame or Infamy, depending on how you want to look at it. And it's based on a book by Tom Parada, who is also the co-creator of the show with Lindelof. And basic concept, if you're not familiar with it, which I assume a lot of people aren't because, you know, only like a million people watch this show, apparently. Anyways, it uh, takes place in a world not too dissimilar from ours where all of the sudden 2% of the world's population just gone. We don't know what happened to them. No explanation whatsoever. The first season picks up a year or two years after this initial event. I believe it's just a year. But uh, we're basically following a set of characters in a small town in northern New York initially. And it's just about how all these people are dealing with grief and loss and questioning. And like even people who are not directly affected by it, like they didn't lose a spouse or a child or anything like that in this, it's still coming to terms with living in a world where everything is kind of meaningless at this point. It's like, if this can happen at any point, and just boom, we're gone. Like, And, of course, that's a greater metaphor for uh, death and life in general. And yeah. religion comes into play. A lot of cults have sprung up as, like, a, we have an explanation for what happened here. Uh, there's all sorts of, like, scam artists all over the place. The ATF gets rebranded as alcohol, tobacco, firearms, and cults. Um <laughs> because it's such a thing they have to deal with. And the first season, again, very directly tied to the book, and then pretty much ends where the book ends. And then season two goes off and does its own thing. Season two of The Leftovers is arguably the single best season of television I've ever seen. It is fantastic. It takes the story in directions that you never thought it could go. I will shout out to people if you want to jump in cold. Go watch the episode International Assassin. It is one of the greatest hours of television you will ever see. You can jump in completely without context and still appreciate it for what it is. Uh, go watch that. Go watch the whole series. Season 3 wrapped things up beautifully. Uh, stayed very true. Didn't go off in any crazy direction, which I know a lot of people were worried about given that it's Lindelof. But uh, really, really stuck the landing. And... One that I look forward to going back through, but fair warning to everybody, and I totally get that this is not a show for everybody. It is a very, very tough, emotionally engaging show. It deals with some really, really dark themes and dark circumstances. And if that's not your bag, don't don't sign up for this one because it's it's right up there with Black Mirror in terms of just one of the darkest shows I've ever seen simply because of the subject matter that it deals with uh, and how seriously it takes it. I'll leave it at that. Uh, the Leftovers is my number five favorite show of all time. Okay. Let's lighten the mood a little bit. Please do. Yeah. My favorite, my number four favorite show of all time, Parks and Rec. NBC's Parks and Rec. Just narrowly missed my list. Again, on, on another day, maybe it's like my number three. Oh God! I love Parks and Rec. Absolutely. <laughs> um, specifically, the episode that I want to shout out that I think you should watch. It's later on, but uh, what is who's getting who's getting married? Tom's getting married. Uh, maybe it's Ron Swanson. I can't remember. But essentially, for some reason, 
there is one of the one of the people in the show is getting married and or they've all been married and they never had a bachelor party. So what they do is they take um, each guy, they go out to like do a bachelor party for one of them and they decide, well, hey, why do we have to like stop this? Why don't we do like everybody gets their own. So they all go to like these different spots. They wind up at like a club. They go to Sherm's, the the um, the ice cream shop. And I love that like in this one more than anything, Adam Scott is still questioning why Christy Brinkley and Jim O'Hare are, are married, which is hilarious if you think about it. Um, and then they go to the they go wind up going to the Colt Stadium, uh, and it's just really neat to like have all that kind of happen in this show. It's just, I don't know something about that one just kind of hit that it was like this is just this is one of my favorite shows. Along with the uh, earlier stuff, there's a scavenger hunt episode, and at the end of it, um, Ron Swanson is basically being like. Yeah, I don't really think I'm, you know, this is nice, but I wouldn't want anything like that. You know, this is this. And he's like, for the record, my birthday's coming up and I want this. I really do want this as my birthday gift because he's so, like, excited and the whole scavenger hunt that has to go down. But, I mean, it's essentially just a quirky little workplace comedy about a parks and recreation uh, department in Pawnee, Indiana. And I've heard it described as, like, basically the formula for every episode is real simple. Characters are in A. And they have to get to B. They want to get to B. So it's them going from A to B. They're outside of something. They need to get to something. But it's all, that. that's the basic formula of it. And the comedy comes in the characters themselves trying to do something. And you have Leslie Nope, who is basically like, you know, the greatest, most passionate American civil service worker in, in the history of that. Loves Joe Biden. Loves everything about politics. And this town that is just a complete dumpster fire of a town just trying to drag her down at every turn. Just is ridiculous. I love that show. Uh, I do too. It's a show for me that doesn't really find its feet until the third season. Yeah. Which is maybe the only reason I knock it off of here. Uh, Another one that kind of just takes some dramatic shifts with like Andy is definitely more of a background character uh, early on. But then they kind of realize what they had there. Uh, definitely kind of comes to life when they start to build the relationship between him and April. And then I, f- in my head, it's like, I remember Mark Brandanowitz. Yes. But the show for me really starts when you introduce Rob Lowe and Adam Scott into the picture. Like, that is the cast that I think of when I think of the show. Which is right after you get rid of Justin Theroux. Yeah, I forget that. Justin Thoreau, who I did not met, I didn't mention any cast members of The Leftovers. <laughs> yeah. uh, Justin Welcome. Thoreau doing his career best work in The Leftovers, by the way. I forgot that, yes, he was a love interest on uh, Parks and Rec for a time. But yeah, dude, just a show that I, there are very few shows that just make me feel good. Yeah. And this is one that like, it never, you know. The characters would have their tiffs and stuff with each other, but it it was always just such a warm, friendly show. It was just watching characters that you like hang out with each other and be supportive of each other. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Just a great like overall spirit and vibe to it, to a point where I never get tired of rewatching it. It's just a, a total feel-good show, and I absolutely adore what they did with the final season. Jumping oh, yeah. into the future and letting you play catch-up, essentially, and getting to do all of these jokes of just, like, here's what's happened to society in the intervening, like, five years or whatever. So I could not have been more pleased with how it ended, and I 
it's just it's a great show. It manages to have some pretty wry political commentary by basically approaching you know local politics as kind of a microcosm for the world, and all of that's really pretty deftly done. Sometimes not as subtle as others, but it I love that it has that element to it. But ultimately, it always comes back to a place of like just friendly. I don't know how else to describe it, dude. I just like yeah. They feel like your friends. They feel like people you want to hang out with and spend time with. And oh, that's yeah. the hallmark of like any great sitcom in particular. I just love all the the little Sebastian, the little quirks yeah, of that the town. Run, the way it builds its own lore consistently throughout that show, yeah, is fantastic. I mean, I have a mouse rat T shirt, so you know, yeah, I'm, I'm I like their older stuff. Uh, My favorite is Sex Hair. Speaking of a show that has uh, built its own universe and continues to do so because it's still on the air. And we'll be going into, I believe it's 22nd season uh, next year. It's South Park oh. from Mr. Uh, Trey Parker and Matt Stone. I don't really know what else needs to be said about it for me. It is the definitive animated show of all time. You can have your Simpsons if you want it. And I'm sure people are screaming at me right now like, Simpsons is a classic. Like you got, But... I, I've seen a lot of The Simpsons. I, I grew up watching The Simpsons, and even though it predates me as a human, uh, there was reruns of the first, like, ten seasons at that point, probably, that yeah. we watched consistently. And for me, the main thing with South Park is that I feel like the quality, genuinely, has never truly dipped in its entire run. And... There's no single episode of South Park that I can look at and go, that's a bad episode, or that one didn't really work. There are moments of every single episode that will have me like on the floor. Even if it's one that I don't absolutely love or totally dig on, there will be a tiny little thing that I remember from it, or just a line delivery. Oh, yeah. That's just, will just absolutely slay me. So I, I don't feel like I need to sit here and dwell on it. If you want to fight me over this pick, go right ahead. But South Park is the best animated show of all time. And I'm going to go ahead and say it, because of where it ranks on my list, it's also the best comedy of all time. Animated or live action. Period. Mm. Fight me. Eh, I don't know, man. Fight me. I, I don't know about the best comedy. You're talking about the best comedy show of all time. I think it's the funniest, or however you want to phrase it, I think it's the funniest show of all time. Yes. Okay. Consistently funny. And just, again, sheer volume. Granted, a lot of other shows can't say that they've been on nearly as long. Well, you said 20 years, and I was going to be like, in the criminal justice system, sexually based offenses are considered especially heinous. In New York City, the dedicated men and women who investigate these special... Vicious felonies are members of an elite squad known as the Special Victims Unit. These are the, I totally fucked that up. I thought you were going to go like Law and Order or something, but I'm glad I don't have any procedurals on here. So I was hoping uh, you would go with it, but I don't. Neither do I. Yeah, but uh, I mean, yeah, it's funny. I mean, I it's kind of one of those. It, I don't even want. I'm not even going to go. Hey, it's funny. I'm just. It's it's South Park. It's its own thing. It's not for sure. It's not anything where like yeah, I no, mean, I could do a whole top ten, top twenty, top fifty. Episodes of this very, very easily. Yeah. But yeah, I won't dwell on it. Keep keep rolling. Keep okay. rolling. So my uh, number four favorite, South Park. My number three favorite show of all time. Uh, 
It's one that I caught maybe about four or five episodes in. Mom told me I need to watch it, and I was like, whatever, I'll I'll check it out. And, you know, I, I flipping through TV, and it's okay, yeah, this is that show. And all of a sudden, this, like, smoking hot MILF just, like, picks up this skateboard and beats this girl in the face with it. And I'm like, the hell is this show? Turns out it's Sons of Anarchy. And uh, okay. when I say smoking hot MILF, of course, I'm talking about... Katie Seagal. Peggy, you know, yeah. married with children. Um... And it, I just, I got hooked. Mom was like, oh, it's like Hamlet with a biker gang, and it's this and that. You'll really like it. And, I mean, that's the first time I ever saw anything with Charlie Hunnam. I realized I probably saw him on Undeclared randomly, but I just didn't put two and two together at this yeah. point. Um, and it has been one of my favorite shows. I Once I started there, after about four seasons in, or four episodes in, I was every Tuesday to the point that, you know, when we were in college... I had people over every Tuesday night while it was on to watch it with me. And we'd cook dinner, watch Sons of Anarchy, maybe watch it through the second time. But it just, the the writing on that show, I feel like Kurt Sutter has n- is never going to be able to duplicate that. I think they have some type of um, Mayan prequel, sequel thing involved. And like, that's cool. But I just, I don't think he's ever going to be able to get back to that level of just writing and the world that he created it you know essentially is done with the finale of the show but i hope that you know he can give us something different because you know he had that like mythical game of thrones type show on right after that executioner yeah that no one watched but mom yeah like mom Mom put yeah mom put it all over the facebook page of like why i want to keep watching this show and i'm like oh mom (laughs) one tiny voice in a sea of people booing yeah sons of anarchy dude it's my number three (laughs) i i'm ashamed to say i never finished it Uh, i tapped out around season three uh not intentionally just lost track of it it's one of those i just you know one thing led to another still haven't caught up with it so i don't feel like i can fairly comment on it i know you and mom love it so eventually you know when i have that magic when in the future we invent that magic pill where you can just like pause your regular life for like 24 hours yeah just go do whatever you need to do yeah so let's get that technology worked out and then i can finish sons of anarchy everybody will be real happy seems like a long road number three come on crossover twin peaks baby you go ahead and talk about it, because that's my number two, brother. Alrighty then. <sighs> Twin Peaks. We could, If what? we get off on a tangent, we'll be here for like two hours. So let's not do that from the top. I just want to say, I love David Lynch. Uh, been on record as such. Go listen to one of our newest podcasts, The Bay of Lynch, where we'll have a new episode up very, very soon. Uh, Dune and Armageddon. Yeah. Thanks, brother. Anyways, uh, I discovered Twin Peaks when it finally became available. Uh, Go ahead. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> uh, when it finally was released in a DVD box set. This is pre-Netflix picking it up, which I know has how a lot of people have seen it. And That's how I saw it. I had already been you know, heavily steeped in lunch by the time I got to it. And it was always this thing of like, oh, his TV show, like that I'll never be able to see because this was, again, still pre-Netflix having it. I guess I could have done the rental through them. But 
when the Gold Box Definitive Edition was released. I picked that up, and I tore through the first two seasons of the show, knowing full well from the reputation that a lot of people felt like it kind of goes off the rails in Season 2, and that's why it got canceled. Uh, I am of the opinion, we can get into this in a more long-form discussion on another cast, but I'm of the opinion that after the big reveal of who in fact killed Laura Palmer, Mm -hmm. uh, which is about midway through Season 2, for me it only gets more interesting. Yeah. And I know a lot of people tuned out the second they had an answer, but to me it just... it. Like most things in that show, uh, you get one answer and it spawns a thousand more questions. So, yeah. This, the first time going through it, I remember being consistently astounded by, like, I had never been, and still really haven't been, sc- that scared by a television show. Dude, just, I, anytime Bob is on screen. Anytime. Uh, yeah, dude. And the midget dancing... And the way they talk, no, dude, I can't. I don't watch it at night. So, what's your favorite episode, though? Do you have like a favorite from season one and two? I mean, uh, obviously, it's easy to just say the pilot and the uh, the last the two parter, essentially the last two of season two. But yeah, I also I really like the one in season one, which I believe is maybe episode three or four, or it may even be earlier than that. I forget. The first, you know, the first season of that kind of all blurs together for me. But it's the uh, the one where they have the sequence where they go out in the woods and he does the uh, Tibetan method mm-hmm. and tosses the rocks and everything. Yeah. Like set, they basically walk you through the story up to that point. Every single character, what their connection to Laura is, what motivation they may have had. And it's like, it is very expository. But it's done in such an interesting and compelling way that you're like, this in and of itself is like elevating television. And I don't care that I'm getting hit over the head with yeah, that position exactly. because he's... Yeah. It's, again, something you can go back to now and look at and still truly be astounded by. Like, this was a hit. This was a massive phenomenon. This was a mainstream television show mm-hmm. when it aired. It was one of the biggest things on the planet, you know? And... That's still pretty astounding to me. And you still see so many shows that just flat out would not be here or wouldn't be able to exist in the way that they do if Twin Peaks hadn't kind of just knocked down the door for what people will accept in terms of cinematic storytelling on the small screen. And We're looking at you, X-Files. I have not even mentioned the third season, Twin Peaks The Return, which just wrapped up. I'm sure across all of these podcasts at this point, across the network, you've heard us lavishly praise. Uh, it's one of my favorite things in existence. This is mainly what bumps it up on my top ten, if we're being real. Because as much as I love the original Twin Peaks as it existed, and again, I am totally on board for the back half of season two and where it goes and the Wyndham Earl of it all. Oh, yeah. All of that stuff. But I can still say objectively that, like, there's a huge swath of that show that I could just kind of like disregard or not have to watch in a rewatch. It's like you could definitely tune out probably the back half of season two, all the shit with James and like he drives, you know, a few minutes out of town and gets embroiled in that whole like 
brother invitation to love basically yeah invitation to love come to life it's just it's kind of a mess but then we got the return no donna james has always been cool (laughs) yeah no james has never been cool um my real quick though my favorite episode oh yeah if you have is after i don't know what number it is but it's after it's it's after harry and um Albert have kind of gotten into it, and he's just kind of like, I, I'm a Buddhist, I'm this, and I'm this, and I'm that, and I love all things. And he's like, what I'm trying to say, Sheriff Truman, is I love you. And, like, there's just swelling music, and you get like, hey, you know, Albert's the no-nonsense FBI guy come to the small town, and he's like, they're butting heads, and then you're like, you know, is that going to be a problem? And then no, like, they're all on the same side. They're all trying to track down what happened to this girl. And it's just something about... There's probably one or two other things in episodes I'm forgetting, but that moment I'm just kind of like, this is why I want to watch it. That and when they, I think season, is it season two where they go to the One-Eyed Jacks and they rescue Audrey? That's season two, right? I believe so. Again, the timeline gets screwed up. I feel like the One-Eyed Jacks stuff. See, season one only had like 12 episodes. Season two had a full 22, right? Yes. Yeah. So that's got to be before, I think that's midway through. This is why we got to go back through it again. Yeah. But, yeah, I know, I love... Uh, Michael Park is... Yes. Jacques Renault. Jean Renault. Jean Renault. Yeah. Um, yes. Fantastic. Uh, a weird, wonderful, fantastic show. She's wonderful dead. and strange. Wrapped in plastic. Say. Yeah, wrapped in plastic. Uh, we will talk way more about Twin Peaks uh, over on the Bay of Lunchcast. Uh, we'll have a Fire Walk With Me episode coming up very, very soon. Yes. In the next couple weeks, so stay tuned for that. And, uh, yeah, I'm glad we uh, finally had some cross. Is that the first crossover? Yeah. On the whole list? Mm-hmm. Go ahead and give me your number two, because that was my number two. My number two is uh, what is pretty much agreed upon by most critics and myself as the best show of all time. It's only my second favorite, but I do agree. It's the best show of all time. It's The Wire. Hmm. You knew it was coming. Yeah. Uh, don't know. Again, like, it sounds like a cliche. You sound like a broken record when you're like, you haven't seen The Wire, you haven't seen The Wire. It's, it's a joke at this point. It's a total joke. But w- with good reason, as with all of this, there's a reason why people shout at you to go watch the show because it is phenomenal. Uh, David Simon, who has The Deuce right now on HBO, which yeah. thoroughly enjoyed the first season. It's definitely greenlit for season two. Can't wait to see where all that goes. But The Wire stands as just this towering achievement of essentially... A, a television novel. I it it is the closest thing to reading like a really richly observed book that sprawls through all of these different characters, but you get to know every single one of them in intimate detail. Um, it's a show that consistently builds. I've talked to you about it before. I don't have to run through it again, but you know, the first season kind of ostensibly just cops and robbers second season expands the scope a little bit includes some of the characters from the first season but continues to build the cast and by the time you get to the fifth season you've got this just massive mosaic of one city and how every single aspect of it works the parts of it that are broken and why they're never going to change the things that could be helped the things that probably can never be helped 
and all the different people caught in between that. And it is one of the finest acted shows you'll ever see. It goes places you don't expect it to. It has something to say. It's truly about something. And is also just a showcase for a ton of talent that you will will see throughout modern television from now on. Uh, there's another show that's kind of res- more responsible for that, which didn't quite make my list. It's a good time to bring it up. Oz. Oh, dude, I Fantastic forgot about HBO Oz. show. I encourage anybody who's just a fan of modern television in general, go back and watch Oz. It may be a little hard to get through for at least the first couple seasons because of the super 90s aesthetic. Yeah. But if you can get past that, Oz did broke every single taboo on television that you can break. And it did a lot of those in its first season. Stuff that you still do not see people attempting to do nowadays or approach. Hmm. And I'm not kidding. That show is completely batshit. It's one of those where sometimes you sit back and you're like, all of that happened in one hour. Like, how did we get from there to there? Fantastic, like, ensemble cast that, again, because of the nature of the show, the fact that it's set in a prison, you continue to rotate characters and stuff. But basically, I would say a solid, like, 40% of the cast members of Oz you see crop back up in The Wire. You see crop up in Law and Order. Just a, tons of FX shows, etc. It's it is a cornerstone of modern American television, and I feel like you need to see it at some point if you've never seen it. So uh, that's kind of a double plug. Again, Oz is not my number two. The Wire is my number two, but I almost want to tell people uh, go back and do it that way. Start start with Oz, the original. OG HBO drama, pre-Sopranos HBO drama, and and then watch what I think is still the best thing they've ever done uh, as a network, which is The Wire. That's my number two, not my number one, even though it might sound like it. Back to you, brother. My number one favorite TV show of all time is the first season of True Detective. Why you gotta say just the first season? I mean, I love all of it, but every time I talk about the second season, people think I'm dumb. (laughs) They yell at me on the internet. I don't like it. Fair enough. (laughs) Uh, Yep. You know, on a a given day, definitely could be on my list. The only reason I did not put it on there, we know it's coming back for a third season now. So I feel like maybe we'll be more better equipped to judge after we've seen that. Because if we got two stellar seasons and then one that everybody's a little sour on, I feel like we're still in really good shape, you know? But I agree with you, dude. I, I on a whim, I think I mentioned on another cast, I rewatched this a couple months ago. Just was like, I'm going to go back through first season of True Detective. First time I'd done it since it aired. Yeah. And there was a handful of those episodes that I watched like twice where it was like, oh, I want to see that whole, um, you know, sequence in the housing project, like the single take. That's I my favorite. watch that again. That's my favorite episode. Uh, before the next week airs, like that sort of stuff. But yeah, dude, I mean, I'm I'm totally on board with you. I it could be in my top five potentially. Again, it just stuff gets shuffled around. It it brilliant show though. Hey, you know, brilliant if show. you if you you know if you're not about your faculties, if you you know a little apprehensive to name a favorite, we understand. <laughs> you can't stick to your guns. It's perfectly fine. 
You get, but you got to stand for oh, something. I'm unequivocal though. about my number one. Okay, what is it? It has never and will never change. Although I hope it does. I hope there's something that can dethrone it at some point. I feel like I've mentioned this on other casts, so it's probably you know been spoiled by this point. But it'll lead me into a perfect segue and a way to end this cast. Okay? You ready? Yeah. My favorite show of all time is Six Feet Under. It's still Six Feet Under. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, so yeah, I knew you were going to go there. Oh. Okay. That it hasn't changed. Yeah. I can believe you that you're... Asshole. Okay. <laughs> I'm not going to eat you for a show I've show never seen. show you still haven't watched. Yes. Which you need to. Created by Mr. Alan Ball, uh, screenwriter of American Beauty. Oscar-winning screenwriter of American Beauty. And this show started in 2001. Ran for five seasons. And it's a fucking masterpiece as far as I'm concerned. Uh, it is an ensemble drama about a family who runs a funeral home. And it starts, spoiler alert, uh, with the patriarch, played by Mr. Richard Jenkins, dying in a car accident. Very first episode. Boom. First few minutes of the first episode. Okay? And it is basically about how this family copes in the aftermath. You've got Michael C. Hall as David, the younger of two brothers, who has essentially started working in the family business. You've got Claire, the baby of the bunch, uh, who's still living at home. She's finishing up high school. Okay, You've got their mother, Ruth. And then you have the prodigal son, uh, Nathan, played by Peter Krause, re- uh, returning home for the funeral. Or he's actually on his way back, excuse me, for Thanksgiving. And the dad was on the way to pick him up at the airport when said car accident happened. So... You go from there, and it's just, it is a show that manages to be about absolutely everything. It, you know, you can boil it down to, oh, it's about this family in a funeral home. But over the course of its five seasons, it it deals with everything, man. Just everything about life and death and everything in between. It's, it's a great relationship show. It I've never encountered a show that's made me more deeply invest in its characters. And characters that you don't always love. Like, sometimes you really hate the decisions they're making. And there's, like, it's amazing how you'll go from, like, oh, this was my favorite character. I totally relate to this person. And then, like, oh, fuck, I really hate what they're doing right now. <laughs> and, like, you know, it just, it's a constant thing. And it's it goes perfectly. It was conceived, as far as I know, to be five seasons originally. And it it's just, oh, God. I just want you to watch it so I have somebody to talk with about it. I've always wanted to go back through the show as a whole and do a uh, a companion podcast because I don't know that one exists. But I think Zane, my friend Zane, would be a good person to talk to about. It. I think he's. It's just it's a great show. The other hook, which I guess I should mention, uh, which is established in that first episode, every episode opens with a death, mm-hmm. and that death, in most cases, is going to be the body that then is going to be interred at the funeral home in the course of that episode. Hmm. Sometimes it is very centrally focused on that person because another aspect to sell you on this, just kind of, because it might sound like just kind of a rote, like, oh, this is like a just a family drama. Like, what's the, the hook in here? Opens with a death every episode, but also pretty much all of the principal characters, the members of the family, you get to go inside their heads. Hmm. But it's done in such a way where it does the 
a scene will play out or a moment will happen and mm-hmm. you'll almost be like, what the fuck? Like, did that just happen? And boom. And you'll, it'll snap back and, you know, oh, they were just imagining that or it was just in their head for the second. And it's such a running thing throughout the show. And I honestly wish that more shows embraced this because it's a great organic way to give you a window into a character's head. Without having to have them speak. Without having to have them speak. Much mm-hmm. in the way that you can in a book where you can get those internal thoughts. And like Six Feet Under, very similar to one that I talked about earlier, Mad Men, where it's like it ostensibly is a drama with its trappings. It's centered around the funeral home, but it can be anything. And so there are episodes that where there's a lot of like dream logic at play, for instance, and like there's kind of crazy dream sequences. And are people going crazy? Are they not? Uh, the show deals with mental illness uh, in very interesting ways. The show just sibling interactions, sibling rivalry, uh, multi generational things, uh, female empowerment. Uh, <laughs> there's so much here, dude, and it has three of the most like richly realized female characters I've ever seen in any show. It has my favorite female character in any show, which is Ruth, the mother. Uh, and just just go give it a shot. It is, it's a heavy show. I'm not going to lie to you. It's got a dark comic sensibility. If you've, you know, again, if you've seen American Beauty, you got kind of a, a grasp of what Alan Ball's tone is like. And uh, again, it just, it has all of that and it has what I'll go ahead and say, even though we're probably going to do a list at some point. It's the best last 10 minutes of any show ever. Period. Hmm. Now you have to watch every single episode that leads up to it. But the final 10 minutes of the last episode of Six Feet Under is flat out the best 10 minutes of television I've ever seen in my entire life. Hmm. It, is, it is so far beyond sticking the landing that I don't even know what you call it. Um, it's <laughs> Nailing perfect. it. It is a perfect ending to this show. It is so emotionally satisfying in a way that a lot of shows stop just short of, but this one has the balls to give it to you. Um, it's amazing, man. I, I really want you to give this one a shot. And maybe your gateway into it can be Segway. This was all a giant plug to set up what you're going to hear on Monday from the TV arc. I am starting a companion podcast for here and now. Boom. The latest HBO show from the aforementioned Alan Ball. Show stars Tim Robbins, Holly Hunter, handful of other people I'm not that familiar with, but we'll get more into that on the cast. I don't know who's going to host it with me. I'm trying to talk Veronica into uh, joining me for that one as a co-host. After we watch the first episode, might get uh, Mr. Evan Tuig in here. Maybe Gavin if he wants to jump in on a couple episodes. Yeah, I might check but it out. But that one runs for 10 weeks on HBO. Again, just seems like a family drama set present day. And I'm interested to see where it goes. I know hardly anything about it other than a little bit that I gleaned from the Tim Robbins uh, Nerdist or ID10T podcast. But uh, yeah, so stick around. That'll be the next thing you hear on said TV arc feed. Hope you enjoyed our list. And uh, if we were totally off base, let us know. I've got a ton of honorable mentions, but let's just table those because 
They'll they can, probably they, come they, up on future yeah, top tens. I was going to say, they could be used for other yes. top tens. Uh, let us know what you thought of this episode and our previous Black Mirror episode as well. And let us know what you think we should be doing in the future. Again, I'm doing this here and now thing, here for the next 10 weeks for sure. But that doesn't have to interfere with the TV arc overall. Uh, we can still do some other things. If there's a show coming up that you guys want us to kind of jump on board with, uh, or something that's dropped recently, something that's bingeable on Netflix, Hulu, or Amazon that you'd like us to give our thoughts on, let us know. Email us, thearcofe at gmail.com. Shout at us on Instagram, The Arc of E Network, and on Twitter and Facebook at The Arc of E. Uh, I think that about covers it. You are Star Lord Bro on Bro, Twitter. Yes, on Twitter. And Ginger Beard, Beard Man on, on Instagram. On the Instagrams. And, uh, yeah, I think that about does it uh, for this week on the TV arc. I have been Noah. And I have been Gavin. And we've been the Blanchard Brothers. Thanks for staying tuned. How you like that? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You in Calcosa now. From the dusty mesa, her looming shadow grows, hidden in the branches of the poison creoso. She twines her spines up slowly towards the boiling sun, and when I touched her skin, my Sometimes it felt like I was dying. Other times it felt like I was mainlining the secret truth of the universe. Ah, dude, I, uh, he's got to come back for season three. He's got to. You can't not Mr. have him. Cool is the Yellow King. Spaghetti Monster. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Rust on Cole. <laughs> Mr. Steve on Cole. Hot. <laughs> I sent you to eat one of the spiciest bowls of jambalaya you ever likely to encounter. <laughs> <laughs>